This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Taking a little bit different of a spin on this episode of Talk is Sheep, our fearless leader, CEO Kyle Stelter, is not here today. So it is just me and, well, what's your official title, Greg? I, I call you a bunch of different things, but they're very, very inappropriate for this show. So I would be the Secretary of the Wild Sheep Society of BC. Um, that would be my formal t- title, I suppose. <laughs> so much nicer than I call you. So. Yeah. Anyway, this is going to be a fun episode, I think, I guess, depending on what side of the camera you're on. Uh, it's going to be a learning experience, a pretty cool conversation. We're sitting here with Jeremy Evans, who is, well, we'll get into that in just a few minutes. So, Jeremy, for, for people that don't know anything about you, let's get a little bit of background before we get into the real conversation on who you are and where you're from. Alrighty, well, um, my name is Jeremy Evans, I live in Alberta, grew up in Calgary my whole life, I'm avid outdoorsman, love to hunt and fish, and uh, I love to pretend to sheep hunt, I haven't got one yet, but <laughs> I enjoy being out there. Uh, I'm the co-author of the book, uh, Mauled, uh, so this is my story on a very unfortunate day that happened back on uh, August 24th, 2017. In the remote wilderness of Alberta, more narrow down the area, I guess it would be west of Sundry and the Burnt Timber Creek area at the headwaters. Is, is that an area that's known for, for grizzlies? Uh, yes and no. Um, they, so there's a lot of people saying that that's the area where they dump problem grizzly bears. I, I don't know anything... Yeah, I can't deny or prove that, so <laughs> I <laughs> we see a lot. A, we, we know that there was, like, for, for somebody from B.C. like myself, I'm in the interior of B.C., Prince George, uh, we, we have bears everywhere. So when, when I think Alberta, I think pretty much you got the Rocky Mountain foothills and then flat. So what kind of what kind of territory is that? Is that mountainous or? This is right into the uh, mountains, so it's kind of where the foothills meet. The Hard Rock and then Banff National Park is on the backside of it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's a little bit, little bit more of a, the picture. I went to uh, to Drumheller this past summer with the family, so driving through the foothills, kind of through Banff and all that. Now, okay, now I, I kind of got you because when you say grizzly grizzly attack in Alberta, it's not really the type of the territory you, you seem to jump on. So, a <laughs> little bit, little bit of a picture painted there. So. Let's just dive right into it. The title of the book is called Mauled, and for good reason. You were attacked by a grizzly bear, as we kind of started to get into. <laughs> and as we said before I started re- recording this, that's about all I know. I purposely did not read much more than your media kit so we could have an authentic conversation and bring our listeners in on this. So I, I want to hear it straight from you. So when did it happen? We kind of got an idea where so let's let's start at the beginning there so on on the morning of august 24th 2017 i uh got up pretty early in the morning and headed out to my favorite spot to go sheep hunting i managed to get out there say about 3 a.m and hopped on my bicycle my big pack and 
rode into the mountains. I tried to get way into the one back boulder, which I go every year just for, oh, there's nobody there. You always see sheep. It's kind of a nice relaxing place. Uh, but I rode my bike all the way in the back and uh, was coming along the edge of the tree line where the tree line ends, just slowly creeping up. Uh, I spotted some sheep, and I was sitting there watching some sheep, getting pretty excited. You know, like, wow, this is my year to shoot a ram, finally. <laughs> so, as I'm sneaking in, little by little, I was leaning against the handlebars of my bicycle, got my binoculars up, and I'm scouting out these sheep. They're just using lambs, but still pretty exciting. And when I brought my binoculars down, I noticed this little brown thing running in front of me about 10 feet. And as soon as I see it, I had that moment where it's like, oh shit, I knew I was screwed. It was just, I knew exactly what it was, and I knew mama had to be somewhere. Uh, so as, I, as the little brown thing ran in front of me, I reached down in my pack to grab my bear spray, and as I was trying to pull my bear spray on my pack, I heard a branch break, and I'm over my right shoulder, less than four feet away was mama... On a full charge, her one paw stretched all out. You can see the whites of her eyes. She was coming in hard on a full charge. Uh, well, the first thing I did, you know, after, no, kind of shocking at first. <laughs> I uh, picked up my bike and just threw it in front of her and stepped aside. And her head got caught in the frame. And one of her claws got caught in the back spokes of the bike. And so she dove into that, picked it up. And I grabbed my pack as a shield and started beating her over the head and pushing her back, smashing her in the face, trying to push her off. And as I was doing that, she uh, crushed the pack in my hands uh, against the frame, busted some fingers, put some holes in my hands. Um, I was just beating her, pushing her back. Uh, she stopped and she turned and she started to walk away. So I was like, oh, this is sweet, pretty good. <laughs> I was backing up, trying to pull my gun off the pack. And I looked up, she turned around, and she came in on a second charge, full dead run in. Um, at this point, I like, still didn't have my gun in my hand. I couldn't get my bear spray. I threw the pack at her, and I decided to try to run up the mountainside. Um, my, whole, my whole idea was to run up the mountainside and turn and jump into a tree so I can get high enough up the ground. Uh, well, I got about maybe 60 feet or so. Jumped into a tree. Uh, I thought it was a big tree, but according to the investigation team, it was probably the smallest tree in the mountainside. <laughs> I got about five, six feet up into the tree. I was pulling my legs up. She come behind me, stood on her hind end, reached up with her, with her claw, grabbed my leg, and she bit behind my knee. And I just remember looking down at her, and as she's lunging up with her jaws open, uh, I was thinking, man, this is going to hurt. And then she... Got a hold of me. I didn't feel anything at first. And she just plucked me out of the tree like nothing. Just pulled me right down. Uh, threw me on the ground. I hit the ground. I was pretty dazed. Uh, the tree that I was climbing was a spruce tree. So the first thing I did was crawl underneath the tree. Wrap myself around the tree. And hopefully you know the branches would protect me. Well, she came in and she was claw digging at me with her claws. That wasn't really working. Then she... Just lunged in, grabbed me with your jaws on the left side of my body, picked me up, tossed me about six feet, and then instantly jumped on top of me. Uh, she was just bang right there. 
Uh, I was laying on my side, curled up in a ball, playing dead. Well, her first bite grabbed me her uh, front incisor, grabbed me right in the corner of my left eye, and on the other side of my eye, and it crunched down, right down in my jaw, and just peeled all that away. You just feel all the bones cracking, breaking. Um, and then I just, I knew this was probably the end, and I, and it's so hard to play dead. Um, so at this point in time, I rolled over and started punching her in the face with my right arm, poking her in the eyeball, pulling on her ear, shoving my fingers in her nose, trying to get her to, you know, not bite me, I guess, or back away. And she was snapping at my hands, and then she came down to bite me in the face again. And it was kind of like a, I don't know, a pretty sweet moment. And when she came down to bite me, I... Punched my left hand right into her mouth as hard as I could. Jammed my fingers down her throat and grabbed her tongue. And I just remember laying there and I could see her her mouth uh, all the way down to part me down my forearm, almost to my elbow. I could see her nose, just my whole arm in her mouth. I was holding on and she was squealing, made a funny, horrible, funny noise, like a pig squealing, just a real deep uh, sound of pain. And she was like, like throwing up. You know, you could just feel her whole tongue. It felt like leather and bumps. And um, Anyways, while I was holding, I had my hand in her mouth. Uh, her rear claws were digging into to my uh, right side. And that was quite painful. So I was trying to push her hind end off of me. And she was standing on me. And my hand slipped and hit the belly. And I could feel where there was no hair. And so I reached up and grabbed what I thought was balls at the time. And I twisted and pulled. And she made a real horrible sound uh, jumped around and then she took off squealing just running through the bush so I got up and I just dusted myself off and I'm like wow that sucked I walked over to my pack I pulled out my phone and I took the selfie with a picture where you see me missing majority of my face and so I was sitting there wondering you know like what do I do can I go still hunt sheep or should I go home or is this a, you know, turn into a bear hunt now? And <laughs> I was kind of ticked off because this was, I spent all summer scouting. I finally found the rams and I was, this was, you know, my time. So I was a little ticked off. Uh, I'm sitting there in my pack and pull out my gun, leaning against a rotten stump and putting shells in my gun thinking like, what am I going to do? You know, uh, as I was doing that, uh, I heard like ice breaking behind me. My hands went numb. I dropped the clip. She had come back again. And this time grabbed me by the back of the skull. Drugged me in uh, a little fairways. Uh, not too sure how far, but she was, you know, you can feel her heaving and pulling me. And I kind of felt like I was almost paralyzed. I couldn't move. Then she proceeded to chew on the back of my head. She just crunching away at the back of my head. It, Kind of like a dog gnawing on a bone. And you just hear it crunching and, and nothing I could really do. I was sitting upright, uh, like in a chair. And my back was leaning against her front legs and she was gnawing on my head. And then she grabbed me with her right claw, got me in the corner of the face, kind of by my nose and eye, and ripped everything off the side of my head, ear, and the whole side. Just peeled that away like nothing. And then she was chewing away again. Um, then she, she stopped for a second and repositioned herself. At that point in time, I fell backwards and laid on my back on the ground. And all I can see was just like a dark thing above me. 
And so, thinking that this was the end, I'm going to go out with a bang. I'm going to try my best to see what I can do. And I reached up and felt the belly and felt what I thought was balls going with both hands. I grabbed a hold and pulled myself up. And then I wrapped my legs around her neck, her head and neck, and just squeezed as hard as I could. And just whatever I had, I was trying to rip off. So she was bucking around like a Bronco and rolling around on the hillside. And I'm holding on. And then... I felt my back kind of skipping across the ground like she was really running away. Um, so while I decided to let go and she took off and she was defecating and just squealing and running. Um, so then after that, I, I couldn't stand. I, uh, I couldn't see. It, everything was just like blurry and I could just see fuzzy green and the hillside. Um, I, I kind of had an idea where I was on the mountainside. So I ended up crawling down and I found the trail and crawled down the trail. Managed to find my pack. I uh, got my pack, started tearing apart looking for uh, something to bandage me up. And well, actually, the first thing I was looking for was my gun because I was, you know, just didn't know what to do. So I'm reaching around. I found my gun right away. And then. I tried to stick a shell in the chamber, but my fingers were so messed up and I couldn't get the shell and the gun. Um, so, you know, so I was feeling around for the clip. I've The first thing I found was my mustache and goatee on the ground. And then I found another chunk of my face and found my ears. So I was piling up all these pieces. And, and then I managed to find the clip feeling around. I threw that in the gun and fired off three shots at the close thing that was dark. Um... So then, sitting there on the mountainside, I, you know, everything is, there's pieces of me laying all over the place, blood pouring out everywhere, and um, kind of don't know what to do in that situation. Like, it's it's not a good feeling to be in. I knew I wasn't going to make it. Um, so I pulled up my phone and tried to send a bunch of messages to my wife. I, I knew she was never going to see him. Uh, well at the time there I knew once they found me they would see the messages and let her know that I tried and um, I uh, I almost ended it on the hillside there I, it was kind of a tough decision like you know what do you, what do, you do so I decided uh, to get up and try to get out I took all the pieces of my face and threw them on top of my head wrapped them in a sweatshirt um, my jaw was hanging down the left side was all ripped apart and it was my jaw was hanging there my left eyeball was, was uh, hanging out and down. My right eye, I didn't think I had a right eye. I couldn't feel it or couldn't see out of it. Uh, in order for me to look forward, I had to tilt my head back almost like a 45 degree angle to see forward. Or I could just pick up my eye and kind of hold it or pull my face. Um, so I wrapped, I uh, put my sweatshirt on upside down, put the pieces of my head in and tried to match them like blood to blood. And, Folded it up, tied the knot underneath my chin to hold my chin up, and then went on against the back of my neck to try to keep everything held together. Uh, and then I tried to get up and get out. Well, the first probably 100 feet, I fell over 100 times. I couldn't stand. My right leg was totally useless. Uh, all the tendons were severed at the knee. Um, so I couldn't even, couldn't even stand. I struggled. Uh, the first... 200 feet of the trailer so it goes down a steep uh, drainage right on the edge of a steep drainage and one side's cliff the other side's drainage 
I ended up falling about 400 feet, head over heels, tumbling down into the drainage, down into the big boulders. And uh, I was pretty hurt and pretty messed up there. Uh, that was, I figured that was the end. I'm laying there in the rocks all mangled. I couldn't even, I couldn't even gather what was going on. Uh, my gun was, was holding my gun and I couldn't try to use it to get stand up. Uh, things, things were hurting real bad and I just, I couldn't move. Uh, I managed to get my phone out of my pocket and I go to play some music just so I can uh, fall asleep on the hillside there and kind of end it. Well, I pulled out my phone. Uh, I got to the the music app and hit it and then the first song, I couldn't tell what I was doing, but the first song I hit or the first thing that started playing on my phone was uh, Baby Shark. (laughs) (laughs) So, <laughs> I, I don't know how you didn't end it. <laughs> I would have been like, you know what, done. <laughs> wow. So, uh, Baby Shark is a song we used to play for my daughter, who was very young at the time. Uh, and that's what we used to play for her to soothe her. So, I don't know if it was the song playing on repeat that made me get up or her. But <laughs> I, managed to, I managed to get up and I crawled up the other side of the drainage. Uh, just from what the investigation team told me that I pretty much crawled in a straight line through deadfall rocks, trees, bush I kind of crawled in a straight line across the hillside um, and the the whole goal of everything was I didn't think I was going to make it, well I knew I wasn't going to make it and my goal was just to get to the trail where more people are to get to the next drainage where more hunters come, where the outfitters come, and then get to the next trail where it crosses, get to the main trail. So I set all these little goals up, and I got to the next drainage, and I was still, you know, okay, well, let's get to the main trail. That's only a couple miles away. I'd hike and crawl, get to there, and, you know, tumbling all over the place, falling, crawling. Um, I remember large portions of it, I was quite... Uh, aware of what was happening I'd make it to the main trail and once I got to the main trail I was well I can make it to the to the next crossing where there's two main trails meet together which most of the outfitters and guides go through there so there's a good chance they'll find my body there I, I wanted them to find my body right away so that way there my wife wouldn't have to worry when uh it gets the news that I, you know, I don't turn up, and they send somebody looking for me. I wanted them to find me right away. Uh, so I got to the main trail, and then I remember earlier that morning when I was riding my bike, and I passed two cowboys uh, sitting at a camp in the back there uh, in the morning, having their cup of coffee. And one guy looked like Lanny McDonald; he had a huge mustache, and I just. I just remember riding my bike past them, and the two guys are sitting there looking at me like, well, who's this crazy guy? <laughs> um, and so I got down near their camp, and, uh, you know, I couldn't talk at this time. I couldn't see. I was just stumbling through, and I was hoping that they were there. But to my surprise, uh, there was no camp there. They were packed up and gone. Um, so I... Uh, that was kind of very disappointing. Uh, kept working my way down the trail, and it comes to a couple of little steep 
creek crossings. Uh, and the first one I came to, uh, it's about a four or five foot drop, about a 70 degree slope. I fell down that and face first into the water, laying there, and managed to crawl and get out of that. Um, that was pretty tough. I, once I fell, hit the bottom, I was always standing, and when I fell, it was hard to get up because my right leg wasn't working, so trying to stand up or trying to hold anything, you know, have, like, no energy, and so I got back on my feet again and got down to the main trail, and it crosses the, the, there's a creek there you cross, but since the flood, it's all braided and washed out all the trail. So I had to kind of work my way down the creek. Uh, I knew of another outfitter's tent, a campsite that uh, I've known for years that they're always in there this uh, the beginning week of sheep season. And so my goal is to make it to them for help because, you know, in the past I've ran into issues and they've always been able to help out. So I followed the creek down, uh, crawling through and hiking and got to their camp. They had a electric fence set up. I, uh, from what everybody tells me, I opened up the electric fence and, and I put it back together. I don't remember, <laughs> but I got to their, their camp, uh, their camp set up and they had, uh, two great big canvas tents and I get there and I'm mumbling and making noise. No one's there. I open up the first tent, uh, Nothing there. I'm digging on top of the tables, looking in every corner for a radio or a sat phone or just something to call for help. Uh, they had a great big white cabinet that had a lock on it. And so I was thinking, well, probably in there. I uh, couldn't get the door open. My hands were all mangled and my fingers were pointing different directions. It had massive holes, about the size of golf balls in each hand with bones sticking out. So I was trying to get in the cabinet and I just said, screw it. I knocked the whole cabinet over and it and it broke open and it was full of canned foods and they had a little black case uh, about the size of about the size of a phone like an old mic phone and so I was pretty excited so I grabbed that and I'm trying to fumble getting it open it was velcro and I finally got it open and it was a, a pocket knife so that sucked uh, I got out of that tent went to the next tent and it was just basically a sleeping quarters Nothing in there went through there. And then I went back to the first tent, and uh, at this point in time, I was starving. I haven't really eaten anything. Uh, they had this triangle can uh, of, like, Spam the or ham. So I saw that, and I was pretty excited because, you know, I was hungry, and that's soft. I could probably eat it. Uh, but they had the little, like, a little tea thing that you put in the can. You got to roll it back. Well, my fingers didn't work and I couldn't do anything. So I ended up grabbing a, a rock, I think, and another can. I was beating it open trying to get the lid open. I managed to get it open enough and then I was grabbing bits of the ham and sticking it in the corner of my mouth because uh, my jaws didn't work and the whole side, the whole left side of my mouth was all open. You could just see my teeth and it was just hanging there dislocated. And uh, I was sitting at the table trying to eat this and... Uh, blood was dripping everywhere and that, I don't know, it really bothered me and so I was trying to clean it up or trying to cover it up and uh, so as I was doing that I found uh, toilet paper and like bounty sheets so I started wrapping around my head to cover up the 
cover up the wound to stop the bleeding and I found some vet wrap and I managed to tape myself up and as I was moving around my jaw trying to find a position to tape it and it clicked in place like it was dislocating the, and it snapped in place and uh, I mean that, that felt really good it was like a relief and uh, I could kind of talk again uh, so anyways I taped that up and my hands were all holy and I, so I taped them up uh, and then, and all the meanwhile, the whole time, uh, Baby Shark was playing on repeat. <laughs> so this, this had to be, uh, I don't know, probably three hours in of Baby Shark playing on repeat on my phone. <laughs> wow. So, I was so exhausted. I was just, just, like I had no energy. Um, I got out one of the sleep bags, rolled it out on the floor, and I opened up the stove, and they had, uh, it was all set for fire, so I was going to make a fire, and, and, uh, I, I don't know what, I just ended up deciding that this was, I should try to make it out, um, when I first got into the tent, I was worried about passing out or falling asleep. So I set my phone on a timer to, to go off every 30 seconds just so I wouldn't fall asleep. And near the end, I was just, I turned it off and I was just ready to, to end it. Um, I decided it was, uh, I decided it was gonna try to make it out. I only had about five miles to go. Um, I found a tetra pack of juice boxes and I slammed a whole bunch of them down. I was squirting them in the side of my mouth and uh, I left five. There was five miles to go and so I figured I'd just drink one every mile and see what happens. Uh, and then uh, sitting there at the camp I found some note, a uh, notepad and uh, a pen and I wrote a little note to the uh, to the guys at the camp apologizing for making a mess and bleeding all over the place and, uh, and then on the back side a little personal note to my wife just to let her know that I tried to get out uh, this was I left this at the camp with my gun uh, before I left the tent I fired the last three shots as a Hail Mary left the left the left the tent left my gun there and uh, went to go hike the rest of the way out and every, about every mile along the way I dropped a juice box in the middle of the trail and um, also during the journey when I started I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt uh, but I, it was early August so extremely hot out and lots of sun I threw jackets over my shoulders and to cover me from the sun because I knew that would be very exhausting and you get burnt uh, so when I got to the the outfitters camp I was starting to drop layers of clothing off all along the way of the trail with the juice boxes just because I didn't need it as closer I got uh, when I got to the last let's say about mile and a half two miles of the trail there's a creek crossing and I can either go up up and over the hill or ridge and then down to the truck or I can go along the creek where it's flat and then cut up to the truck uh, I've never done the creek route before. I kind of knew where to go. Um, 
you know, being exhausted, I was thinking that's probably my better option. But then, you know, you walk through cold water, you got the deadfall. And I decided to stick to the trail because at least if I stuck to the trail and passed out and died, they would find me. So here I am, decided to climb up the ridge. And uh, the, the hill is just a long, sloping hill. And at the top, there's two boulders about the size of car tires and they're in the kind of off in the middle of the trail off to one side and they're always in the way they're just the two rocks that every time I ride my bike in there you hit them or you or you almost hit them they're just I've always been too lazy to move them in the 17 years going back and back in there and they were just right near the top of the hill so as I'm walking up the hill I'm thinking I'm never going to make it like this hill's going on forever and I just remember watching my feet, trying to walk up, and then I noticed the two rocks. I was so happy because I knew once I got to those rocks, I, I made it. Like, I knew I was going to make it out. I had one juice box left. I sucked back the juice box, and I put it on top of the rocks and kissed my hands and tapped the rocks. and was like, thank you. Um, got to the top of the hill and then worked my way down and got to where my truck was parked. Um, ran out the truck, there's a gate that goes across the, the road or trail and uh, I could walk on the right side about 30 feet, go through a little swampy area to get around the gate or I can go to my left about 60 feet around the gate where it's all nice and flat or crawl underneath the gate. Uh, so I did the stupidest thing and I decided to crawl underneath the gate. As I was crawling underneath the gate, I started to lose consciousness. And they had a sign there with the holes drilled in, or the signpost with the holes in it. So I jammed my fingers into the holes and tried to hold myself up. It must have been 10 or 15 minutes of me holding myself up and trying to regain consciousness. And um, I, I finally ended up coming back to and was able to stand up. Uh, that was kind of a very scary moment. Uh, you know, I made it all that far and I'm 10 feet from my truck. Uh, so I got to my truck and the first thing I did was push my mirror out of the way. I didn't really want to see what I looked like. I opened up my truck door and I took the uh, rear view mirror. I pulled, pushed it aside so I couldn't see. And we were sitting there, I put the keys in ignition and I started up the truck and I'm looking out the window, the windshield, and I can't see the end of the hood. I can't see... I roll down the window and I'm looking down and I can't see the ground. All I could see was just like fuzzy, dark and light colored. And you kind of see like the dark spruce trees and then light in the middle. So I figured that was the, that was where the road was. So I just aimed for the white spot and drove down the, this old, this old, like a old lease road. I don't know if any of you guys ever been to Golden back in the 90s, early 2000s, before they put the nice fancy highway in. Well, the road coming out of there is just like that golden road. You got a cliff on the one side, the rocks on the other. Uh, there's a couple of massive serpentine turns. I managed to drive about, about 16, 18 kilometers to the first ranch, uh, or actually it was a resort, uh, Panther River Resort. I drove to the resort Managed to find the entrance, drove in, and uh, I tried to park in the parking lot uh, between the vehicles, but I, I, I couldn't. <laughs> so I ended up, 
Yeah, I mean, I wasn't that hurt, I guess, but I was trying to park it, and then I couldn't. I ended up just driving it right up past their signs. We're not allowed to drive, and I parked right at the base of their uh, their deck of the lodge. And I, uh, their lodge is like a like an octagon, and they have a huge deck that goes around about half of it. But the roof is pointed, and there's the the logs are sticking out. It's like a log cabin, and the logs are sticking all along. And you know, being a tall guy, I hit my head on them. I was walking close to the windows and all hunched over and trying to miss miss these logs. Well, all along the deck, it's all glass windows. Uh, as I'm walking or stumbling on the deck, I noticed a little uh, a little object or well, it was a person uh, dart away from the table and end up being a, a nine year old boy. It was the first person to see me. Uh, as I was opening the lodge door, I remember him saying something like, Grandma, there's somebody playing a prank, or they only thought I was a zombie at first. And I walking in there, of course, I'm all hunched up and bleeding. You got toilet paper and, uh, and vet wrap uh, all over my face and hands. And uh, So his grandma comes out, and she's like, oh, my God. And another lady comes out, and the first thing I did was give him my wallet and let him know who I am, my phone, and, you know, uh, and they asked, what can they do for me? Well, I, I guess I asked for a, a glass of medium temperature water with no ice and a straw. <laughs> so. <laughs> Shock does weird things. Yep. <laughs> and so they gave me that, and I'm sitting there trying to drink it, and like my mouth didn't really work. I can hardly talk, and I'm trying to suck on this water, and. Blood is dripping all over the floor, and they're on the phone to Stars and 911 trying to figure out what to do. And I'm on my knees trying to wipe the floor up because, you know, I'm bleeding all over the place. And uh, I didn't know this, but at the time there was a wedding party that was about just to start a wedding. So the wedding party was all coming in. And, um, and so they got me out of the lodge into my truck and parked it around back where uh, they put a 18 year old or I think it's 18, young lady anyways was with me uh, at the truck just kind of keep me company as as they were running back and forth talking to 911 and stars trying to figure out what's going on and I mean it was probably the most awkward conversation for that young lady <laughs> I mean talking to the guy that's faceless <laughs> and the whole time I could just hear him running across the gravel in the parking lot and I I kept telling them, guys, just like slow down. I'm okay. I'm just, I'm just missing my face. Like, there's no need to rush or panic here. I was really worried about them falling down and getting hurt, and then I have to help them out. Being in the situation, I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> Jesus. As I'm sitting in the truck, there, uh, they told me that the helicopter was on the way, and right in there, right at Panther River Resort, there they have the Panther River runs right through the resort. And I was like, well, I'm going to go fishing. If i got to wait for the helicopter, I'm going to go fishing. So I, I guess I tried to get out of my truck and grab my fishing rod because I was trying to tell them, like, look, if the helicopter is a half hour away, I'm going to at least go try catching some fish. And they like, no, no, you got to stay here. Uh, then uh, the helicopter lands. It wasn't Stars. It was the owner of the property. Her dad owned a helicopter. So he, he flew his helicopter in to pick me up. So we get in this great big helicopter and uh, 
I'm sitting in the one seat. You got a tarp all in there, and uh, Amanda, the owner of the lodge, is sitting right beside me. And uh, the helicopter takes off, and I've never been in a helicopter before in the mountains, so this is pretty exciting. So I was trying to look out the window, and every time I look out the window, I'd get a jab in the side, and I turn around to look at, at Amanda there, and she'd pull up this tarp, and I was like, "Well, what the hell?" So I look out the window again, and she'd poke me, and I turned around, and she'd hold the tarp up. And I'm just like, what, what's your problem? You know, like, I'm just trying to look out the window. <laughs> well, it ended up being that uh, she thought I was passing out because I was kind of draped over looking out, and she was poking me to make sure I'm still alive. And when I turned, I, I was squirting out blood and coughing. So she's holding up the tarp to to, to stop her or stop me from spraying blood over the helicopter. And so I thought she was just like, you know, like, like peekaboo or whatever so um we uh so the helicopter i was about i'd say 15 20 minutes and we get to to sundries and that little small town in uh, rural alberta we land the helicopter right on site right at the hospital uh, they opened the doors up and there was all this medical staff there and um they were all kind of like standing there you know, like do 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 like what's going on and Open up the door and I remember turning looking. That's when panic set in. You know, I turned and there's, of course, there's no skin on my face and I was fully descalped. Everything from the back of my neck all the way to my all the way to my front jaw and chin were was totally removed and just my skull hanging out there and looked like somebody took a bullpen hammer and smashed me around the forehead and eye sockets and cheeks. Everything was just uh, pretty mangled. Uh, so they're trying to pull me out of the helicopter. My leg at this point actually had stiffened up and I couldn't swing it to get it over the seat around the seat. So everybody's trying to pull me out and Amanda was in there. She was fighting with him. It's like, hey, he got in the helicopter. Leave him be. He can get out. And she's yelling at him. And one of the doctors tried cutting around the back of the helicopter and there's an open tail rotor. So Amanda ended up running and diving and basically football tackling the guy trying to stop him from walking into the tail rotor and I give me this complete panic. And then as I'm trying to turn you out of the helicopter, some little nurse coat behind me wrapped her arms around me like a big bear hug and she pulled me right out of the helicopter out of the other door and sat me in the gurney and uh, you know then brought me right into the emergency room and in sundry at the hospital is quite small. The emergency room and waiting room is kind of combined together. Like the beds are right there and you just got the screens. So I'm laying in there and they're bending my leg and you know now I'm fully naked. They cut all my clothes off and they're bending my knee and I'm screaming and fighting with the doctors because it's in pain and they want to see what's underneath my bandage on my head. And I was fighting with them telling them like don't touch it unless you're going to do something about it. Uh, and they're bending my knee, and that was really hurting, so Amanda was in there, she was yelling at him, like, hey, just leave him alone, like, do something with him, and, uh, they were, they were going to throw me in an ambulance and drive me to Calgary, and, um, the helicopter pilot and Amanda were like, well, no, we'll, we'll fly him there, but then, I guess once you're in the hospital, they can't do that, so, they load me up into an ambulance, and, uh, sent me, uh, sent me to Calgary to the Foothills Hospital and on the way there laying down back of my head I couldn't lay it against anything it was all in pieces now uh, they had a doctor in the back of the ambulance actually holding my head together the whole ride uh, the the ambulance attendant EMT was sitting there 
And what he was doing, he was suctioning the blood out of my nose and out of my mouth uh, so I can breathe. And we had little hand signals. I put my thumb between my two fingers, my middle finger and index finger to make like a nose. And that would mean he would suction out my nose or I use my finger to look like, or my hand look like I'm talking. That means you suck it out of my suck it out of my mouth because uh, his blood was just pooling everywhere. Um, I was breathing out of in between my eyes and my forehead. That's where the breath was coming out because everything in my face was so messed up. That was the only spot that they could feel air flowing out of. Uh, so anyway, we made it the hour ride to Calgary ambulance uh when we got to foothills hospital the emergency room was actually under construction so they brought me in the front doors where everybody would go to i guess go to the emergency room so here i am they roll me in a gurney past my whole entire family and i'm laying there and i'm like i'm missing everything on my face and my mom was there my sisters so they ended up seeing me my wife Uh, they pulled me into the back room and asked me if i had any questions check my my uh, blood pressure and heart rate and everything actually was pretty good. It was uh, one 120 over 77 and 64 beats a minute at rest. So I was pretty calm. That's normal. Like, that's bang on normal. Wow. I was uh, extremely calm. I was able to tell the doctor exactly what happened and everything. Uh, and they asked me if I had anything I wanted or needed before, going, before they take me in. And I said I wanted to say goodbye to my wife. So I had made a deal with them that they had to cover my face uh, so they could bring my wife in because they really didn't want her to see me in that condition. So they covered my face with a towel. They brought her in and then basically said, you know, my goodbyes because, I don't know, I've never been into surgery before. This is kind of a scary moment for me. So uh, they covered me up and I told my wife that I was sorry and, uh, you know, and Wish I could be there for the little one. Um, I was pretty, it was a uh, hard moment. Um, right after that, they took me in uh, to do some CAT scans and x-rays. Uh, I was all alone, pretty nervous, scared, didn't know what was going on. And one of the doctors it was a young lady, she came over and was holding my hand, and I just remember her as the green-eyed doctor. Uh, she came over and was talking to me and said she wouldn't leave my side, and um, they put me through CT scans, x-rays, and partway through the process, there was another doctor came in, and she had brown eyes, so the two of them together were there. Uh, we did all kinds of tests, and they rolled me into the surgery room, and they make you drink this like charcoal paste stuff, uh, and I remember trying to trying to suck that back, and they're like, uh, "How does it taste?" And I'm like, "Well, it tastes like Jack Daniels." And <laughs> 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 um, you know, you gotta drink it back, and uh, and then just I never been put to sleep before for anything, so I was pretty nervous. And the two ladies there were rubbing my hands and just. Like, you know, they're going to put the mask on you and you count backwards. And I remember, like, an Australian voice. Uh, I said, hey, man, I got your feet. And he was massaging my feet. And then they put the mask on and uh, they put me out. But I wasn't fully out. I remember majority of the surgery. I remember them stitching my face up. 
the plastic surgeon that actually uh, stitched my face, he came in hours later. There was a, a little Asian guy that stitched up my hand, um, my hands. There was another guy that came in and stitched up my right leg, all the tenants. And then the plastic surgeon came into my face. He had a big beard and everything and looked like a biker. And I remember him coming in and he's like, all right, team, this is what we're going to do. And, and then they stitched and stapled my face together. I was in there for about 13 hours for the first surgery. Uh, the next morning, I was in the ICU. They woke me up, and I was pretty high on drugs and had some really fun conversations with some of the doctors. And uh, One of the questions they were asking me is, like, what's your pain level? And, you know, between 1 and 10, 10 being the worst ever and 1 being, you know, not so bad. And I was, uh, I was like, uh, well, the pain's unbearable. They're like, no, no, we need a number between 1 and 10. And I'm like, it's unbearable. And they're like, no, like, <laughs> give me a number. They, they missed it. it. They missed the joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so it was pretty funny. They, you know, I like, uh, had lots of fun in there. And then after the, I was there the first day uh, in ICU. Then they did a, the second surgery where they put my ears back on and uh, got my face to kind of sit right. It was all droopy on one side. Uh, so they stitched up the rest of my ear and did a bunch more staples and eyelid stuff. Uh, that was another 12, 13 hour surgery. Um, and then they put me in a, a room all by myself and right away from the start, I was having, uh, nightmares and flashbacks literally every 10, 15 minutes, just constantly. Uh, it was, that was horrible. I mean, just, you start breathing heavy, just reliving the whole moment. Um, you know, I had one of my very good friends there. My wife was there throughout this whole ordeal. Uh, of course, she didn't know what to do at first. Uh, my good friend is a social worker, so he he was there. And the first thing when he started seeing me have nightmares, he used to rub my feet because I was the only part of me that wasn't injured. And he'd rub my feet and tell me I'm in a safe place. And right away, he trained that and showed my wife how to do that and the doctors so that if anything... If I was having a nightmare to grab my feet and I would, as soon as they touched my feet and massaged them or squeezed them, it'd take me out of the, the flashback instantly. Uh, so it was one of the things, the first thing trained and trained everybody there to like, hey, if this is happening, do this. Uh, we had to have somebody in the room 24-7 because the nightmares were so bad. Uh, they had to have somebody there to wake me up. And of course, the first three, four days of the hospital I was unable to even sit up, open my eyes. I couldn't even raise my arms. Uh, my uh, right arm, or my sorry, my left arm was in a cast. The only thing sticking out was my middle finger out of the cast was right up to my shoulder. Uh, my right leg, I didn't think I had a right leg. It was all bandaged up and I couldn't feel it. Uh, all the way covering my toes, everything. Like I couldn't physically lift it, move it, feel anything in it. Uh, my head, of course, had bandages everywhere. I couldn't feed myself. I couldn't open my mouth more than, say, half a finger depth. Uh, trying to eat, you know, sucking things through a straw or a little jello. It took about five days or so. And, um, my older brother was in the hospital and trying to feed me the one night. And my daughter was there and we had some, like, applesauce in the little squeeze containers. So he ended up squirting one of those in my mouth. And I was like, well, that was good. So he ended up going to get, like, a whole pack of it and was just... 
the whole case is sitting there feeding me. And that was kind of a big turning point. Uh, I started to recover quite fast after that. Uh, you know, a day later, I was able to, I managed to get myself up in the tray and have my face in my porridge, just like trying to slurp it up. <laughs> um, yeah, from there, it was just taking it day by day. Uh, the nightmares, I mean, they continued on for years and years after. Uh, you know, that was probably the most difficult part about the whole thing was just the lack of sleep, the nightmares. They would come any randomly uh, working with therapists trying to figure out what the triggers were and how to how to prevent them or how to stop them. And uh, it wasn't until last year I got in to see an ART therapist. Uh, the, uh, it's a special therapy for PTSD and people who suffer from trauma. I did a 45-minute session of that, and that night is the first time I ever slept more than, well, more than three hours straight. I slept eight hours that night, not a single nightmare. Uh, that was huge. Um, it was a week after that, I was playing a video game, Deer Hunter, with my daughter. And we're, uh, it was Cabela's Deer Hunting or something, and we're hunting caribou. And all of a sudden, a grizzly bear popped on the screen, and it's mall chewing on you. And my wife was like, oh God, this is going to be a real rough night. So she stayed up all that night, but I didn't flinch at all. I didn't wake up. It didn't even, it bothered me a little bit, but not, you know, before if a grizzly bear popped on the screen, it'd be nightmares for the rest of the week. It'd been, that, that's it. No one's sleeping. Um, it, I don't know. It was just a total, total change. Just a total, I, I don't know. It was, it was actually quite um, I don't know. It just it surprised me. It just was like, wow! Like this is it. Really helped. Uh, so I did. I ended up doing three total sessions, and I've only had, uh, I think, three nightmares, two to three nightmares in the last year and a bit. Wow! So which is really good. I mean, there has been. I have had one recently doing all these podcasts and book media stuff, but this is a pretty, pretty big event. Uh, but it's really helping I mean, you know, get my story out there and hope people can learn from my experience and take away some of the great things in the book that try to, um, show everybody, I guess. Wow. <laughs> there, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> yeah. There, that, there, there really is. And I've been taking notes and Greg and I are just listening this is absolutely riveting and you're a freaking rock star man like seriously to go through that and to be able to tell that story the way you just did is absolutely amazing like i know that during this conversation there's been two books ordered already like just right here i know it for a fact there has been i know i can speak for me and i know greg is probably doing the same thing and i'm, I'm sure our listeners are going to do so like we've got about 10 minutes left in, in the hour. So I, I want to touch on a couple of things there. No, no. The, the note. I, I took, I took a look at that in the Google files you sent and it, it gives chills. What happened to that note? 
I still got it. I have uh, I still have that note in its entirety in a plastic bag or in a Ziploc bag and a file with all the bullet casings they found in the scene and uh, print right. offs of all the text messages and Wow. So that go, go ahead, Greg. I was gonna say that note's incredible. Like you're you know you're you're saying your goodbyes to your wife, but at the same time you're apologizing to the guides for dirtying their camp while you're you're clinging on to dear life, like I was just it getting shivers down my spine listening yeah. to you talk about it. It's unreal that you're able to do that in that situation. Like everybody always says goodbye to their families and whatnot, but you're sitting there apologizing for messing up a camp. It's like <laughs> yeah, it's like, incredible. <laughs> Speaks to your character too, man. Like that's yeah, like for for, for those that uh, haven't obviously won't see the note listening to it. I'll try and make it out. It it says sorry was attacked by a bear. It's really bad. Was looking for radio on site or phone. Sorry about the mess. My name is Jeremy Evans. Leaves his phone number. And on the other side, that really grabs you is, I don't think I will make it. My wife's name is Joyce. Leaves her number. Tell her I love her. I feel very weak. Lost too much blood. Like, getting shivers just looking at it right now. Like, that is the presence of mind. You always see people on movies and TV. I'm going to leave my death note. And you always think it's an urban myth. And to actually see somebody's real death note when they believe that they were gone just grabs you in a, another sort of, of, of plane especially if somebody like Greg and I and a lot of our listeners that spend a lot of time in the backcountry and have had our encounters with bears I, <laughs> I, I don't know what I would have done in that situation and you just had the presence of mind to do that and that's unreal so what did the, the, the fish and wildlife say was the reason for the attack was it simply because you just came across her and she had cubs or what was the conclusion with the investigation so at first we thought it was at first uh, i thought it was a male bear and it was coming in to eat me uh but partly through the hospital stay i started the flashbacks remembering the uh the cub and i got between a sow and cub i was sitting there and the cub got on one side of me and mama was on the other side because of the situation i was in it was like a triangle. The back behind me was rock, and then on the one side was the deep, steep drainage, and then in front of us was a cliff going down to a creek. The cup managed to get down into the drainage, so Mama's instinct was just to get back to her cup, but I was the threat in the way. Uh, so when the second attack, I call it the second attack, when she come, I have my pack, she come running at me, and I decided to run. Uh, that was kind of like the main event, and when she left that, she ended up running towards the mountains behind me to the heart rock. When I got back to my pack, I was on the trail. She was coming down the trail again. And she was just dragging me off the trail, trying to eliminate the threat to get to her cub. I was between her and her cub. So it was a total defense attack. Which which is one that you're not supposed to fight back. That's the one where you play dead. Mm-hmm. But it's really Good tough luck. to play dead when something's chewing on you. I, I can imagine. And what's crazy is I've talked to three grizzly attack survivors. Like, obviously yours would be the worst that I would know. And then there's a couple others that are they're up there. But just the amount of interactions we're finding, like two of these were in British Columbia and yours 
might as well have been you're right on the border there so as a hunter here here's a question that might polarize some people what are your thoughts on that bear what what did you want to happen to that bear and what happened to nothing bear? nothing i didn't want anything to happen to the bear there was no need to do anything i you know i was 20 some 30 kilometers back in and the bear is just doing what the bear does there was yeah no reason to do anything with it Exactly, and you're the third bear attack survivor that has said the same thing. Bears being bears, right? Yeah. And we we can't blame them for doing what they do, right? Uh, should should they be hunted? Absolutely. But that's a whole other conversation. But don't don't fault them for being what they are, right? It's so I'll, let let's finish it with a a, a a tough one, which it might not be for you, uh, but I know it would be for me. Uh, you said you said you're married at the time. What was your wife's reaction to this, and how is she today with it? She was very she was devastated. She was on her way home from either work or an event, and the RCMP called her, letting her know that hey, your husband's been mauled by a bear. Uh, we don't know how he's not looking. It's they say it's they're not know the status, but he's coming to the hospital. It's not good and. She was extremely, she was devastated, um, but she didn't want me to hold back for my passions. So uh, I went back to hunting within 48 hours of being out of the hospital and went back sheep hunting three weeks after the incident. Wow. <laughs> but <and> So <laughs> we have rules. I have to have, a, you know, my um, in reach with me at all times, check in. Uh, I gotta go with somebody. I'm not allowed to go by myself anymore. Uh, I gotta hunt on the prairies if I want to go by myself. So we got a lot of rules. It was very hard for her to get over. Very hard. Took her, you know. Well, it's still today. She's not quite fond of me going by myself or going hunting. Yeah, <laughs> I can I can imagine that. I know my wife would be the same way. Greg's would be the same way, and any rational human being would be the same way i've had grizzly encounters never to that extent i've had a few bluff charges that they get to 30 40 feet it's like all right this could go real real bad next time so now i i I do carry an in reach and uh i I know greg and i hunted on a fly-in hunt last year and we were within 30 40 50 feet of each other 90% 90% of the time, and both of us had a separate in-reach, because you never know, right? You never know. Yeah, and, well, hell, his brother. Remember, Greg, we were up on that little bluff sort of sort of plateau, and we were all having lunch up there, and your brother decided to walk down, and <laughs> in-reach just 10 minutes later, he said he bumped a gr- grizzly that was coming up the trail towards us. So it, it can happen <laughs> on, the, on the blink of an eye. So let's wrap this up real quick. Where can we find the book? Get, do your do your plug. Give the name. Everything that you want to do to get it out there. So the the book is called Mauled Lessons Learned from a Grizzly Bear Attack. It's uh, by Crosby Cotton and myself, Jeremy Evans. The book is sold at Indigo Chapters, Coraline Sporting Goods in BC at both locations. They're going to have it on their webpage. Uh, also on Amazon, you can get get it from there. Uh, yeah. Well, that's awesome. I just took a look at it on Amazon, and it says number one bestseller in hiking and camping instructional books. Well done. And in bears. 
<laughs> that, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that 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 adds up. I think it's in the top 500 uh, best sellers on Amazon uh, today. That's well, amazing. Congratulations. Book that came, book that came out you. yesterday. Wow. I, I know I'm looking forward to reading it, and I can speak for Greg that he's looking forward to reading it too. So, so this, honestly, in this podcast, we went through the first uh, 50, 60 pages in the book. Yeah. And the recovery and well, a bunch of uh, personal diaries for my wife is entered in there, the doctors awesome. and the investigation team. Awesome. Well, Jeremy, I'd really like to thank you again for your time. You're a freaking rock star, and I look forward to reading it. You guys have a good thank night. Thank you. Yeah, have a good night.